0: In this episode, I catch up with Dr Anita Fung, a medical doctor with a wealth of experience in lifestyle medicine. We explore how being faced with the risk of developing diabetes herself caused her to make a major change in her personal life.
1: I was overweight. I had like some personal issues going on and I was like overeating. I, I didn't feel well in myself. My body was sluggish, my knees were hurting. I wasn't doing much exercise. and I'm like, something's not quite right. The power of intermittent fasting It's anti-inflammatory and we know that inflammation is what kind of leads to chronic diseases and things like that.
0: And of course, her top three nutrition tips for tackling diabetes. I'll also be announcing this week's giveaway for one lucky listener. I'm your host, Dr. Yemsi Bokini, and welcome to the Food Clinic Podcast. The Food Clinic Podcast is powered by the Royal Society of Chemistry. Dr. Anita is a graduate of King's College London. She has experience working as a clinical research physician in various clinical trials and believes in providing the best care using evidence-based medicine. Alongside competing GP training, she's also a clinician for Roxanne, a health tech startup offering individualized programs to facilitate weight loss, as well as help people bring diabetes into remission. Dr Anita is a strong believer that the future of medicine lies within health promotion and in health optimization. So Anita, it's a pleasure to have you here. Many thanks for joining
1: us. Thank you for inviting me, I really appreciate it. I'm I'm quite excited and a little bit nervous because it's my first ever podcast, but let's do it.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, no need to be nervous. Um, (laughs) I mean, you and I went to school together, went to uni together, both graduated from King's College London, Uh, med school you're a trusted friend and I'm excited to have you on the podcast today thank you
1: thank you they're they're very kind compliments
0: (laughs) so Anita um, medicine is always involving it's a very humbling um, profession because Mm. with more insights practice changes right with more insights you have to adjust your approach to treatment and things like that
1: mm. and you
0: and I know that okay while well, when we we're at med school we probably had a bit of uh tuition on nutrition and the role of diet in causing diseases but not really the role of diet in terms of treatment mm. right and that's something that has emerged in the past over the past few years um yeah, decade, that's something that's, that's, really, that's really big decade, now yeah. Mm. Yes, it's it's probably something that's more over the last decade that's become a thing. But back yeah. then, um, it really wasn't focused at all, right? Definitely not. I agree. Um, I, we had a little bit. I was like, did we have any really? It was very, very basic. Um no well, not basic, but you know, it nothing nothing like what we what we know now. And we've mm-hmm. all sort of had to use our background in terms of understanding academic research, scientific research to sort of dissect the evidence for ourselves over the years, and and now it's become a bit more mainstream in terms of medical school curriculum, right? Yeah. So tell me a bit about what your journey was, how you ended up getting into this space of lifestyle as a form of treatment, as opposed to lifestyle as you know just a just a thing on the side to be mindful yeah. of.
1: How, how long have we got? <laughs> no, and um, so if I'm honest, um. I really did not know what I wanted to do when I left medical school. I was like, okay, I'm not sure. Do the training and see how it goes. And I actually fell into lifestyle medicine um, on my year out. Um, So uh, during GP training, because I'm a GP trainee, I'm in my final year. And I was meant to do a bit of soul searching, self-reflection and things like that then of Covid happened Um, and actually what I was doing at the time I was working in pharmaceutical medicine and then one of my um, old kind of like clinical supervisors said Anita what are you doing with your life would you like to get involved in this um, health tech startup I was like yes that's my way into digital health but at the time if I was honest I wasn't in a good place Um, I was overweight Um, I had like some personal issues going on and I was like overeating Um, and I I didn't feel well in myself my body was sluggish my knees were hurting I wasn't doing much exercise and I'm like something's not quite right I'm supposed to be a doctor I'm supposed to know all this information about you know healthy living and stuff I'm telling my patients to do these things but am I doing it myself and I hate being a hypocrite so I was talking to some friends about it and they were like why don't you try intermittent fasting and I was like tell me more about this Um, and it's basically this kind of regime where you voluntarily kind of eat and don't eat. So you eat or fast. And there's good evidence out there. Once I looked into this a bit more, and there's a paper in the uh, New England Journal of Medicine about like the benefits of it. It's anti-inflammatory. And we know that inflammation is what kind of leads to chronic diseases and things like that. And it can help um, with longevity. So extending your life. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. So I've actually been intermittent fasting for about two years now. Everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I don't see it as a treatment per se, I, I see it as a lifestyle choice. Uh, I've lost about 18 kilograms, so that's like three stones. Everyone's like, no. I'm like, yes, it did happen, and I've got I've got evidence. If there's no video or photo, it didn't happen. I've got those things. Um, and I share that sometimes, that story with my patients, because they feel maybe demotivated, they don't believe, or they don't have hope, and I'm like, I'm happy to share my journey with them, because it might inspire them, or might help them. So yeah, um, in the last, I would say, six months, I've been really getting into this concept of health optimization or bi-hacking, which is like the sexier word for health optimization. And I'm really working on myself, um, like certain areas with sleep, with meditation, all this stuff that, you know, before I was like, yada, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But now I'm really, really seeing the benefits of it. And I, I want to kind of educate people and give them the information. Um, whether they choose to act upon it, that's, that's up to them because... It depends where they are on their motivational cycle, isn't it? Um, but I think it's really important that we spread the word and educate people. And that's my, that's my goal. And, you know, Anita, you know, one of the reasons why
0: I've gone into this space of health promotion through creative media is because one thing I realised while we were training as well as, mm. you know, short stint in clinics after... I realized that a lot of the health conditions we're seeing nowadays are preventable. They're lifestyle yes. related, right? That's, that's not to put the blame on anyone, right? No, because no, no. it's only when it's only when you know better that you can do better. But correct, correct. you know, one, one, one of the biggest things is diabetes, right? Diabetes, um, especially people of, of ethnic uh, minority backgrounds are even in higher risk. And you shared something very, very profound with me right yeah. so you're, you know your company involved in a startup um yeah. that uses science science-based evidence-based information to put diabetes into remission or to complete essentially completely um try and reverse diabetes but you mentioned that at one stage you were yeah. pre-diabetic
1: yourself yeah I was borderline and I was just like what was that about because like you're right there is definitely increased risk with ethnic minorities and I think um, not a lot of people know about that. Um, and basically, during that time, I told you I wasn't well in myself. Um, and I was overweight. Um, I did some blood tests, you know, tired all the time, let's go checked out that sort of thing. And um, my Hb1c, which is a marker of blood sugar control over the last three months, was very borderline. And I was tipping into pre diabetes. Now, I didn't, I didn't intercalate a BSC in endocrinology, uh, and metabolic medicine. So I'm just like, uh I know where this is heading um and I was like no I really don't want to have diabetes not because it's you know the worst condition in the world or anything like that it's more that I know the complications of it I know the impact I know the progression and because I have that knowledge I want to prevent it and so I it kickstarted my journey with basically finding means to lose weight um doing more exercise and I was like I really don't want this to happen I think there is definitely genetics involved here Um, I've got a bit of a family history of it and I will I would like to try and prevent it as far as I can within my means that you know there's certain things that you can't change your genes um, but there's definitely things you can change and that's your lifestyle Um, and that's why I did the whole kind of intermittent fasting thing but on top of that I've started doing other things like optimizing my sleep um, because sleep can affect your eating behaviors, uh, you know, how, um, your cravings, how full you feel, um, and exercise in terms of, uh, optimizing your metabolism and other things. So, yeah, I think I just want to teach people about this because whilst, you know, you have the BMI scale and it says if you're between, you know, uh, 20 to 25, you're healthy for me, I'm aiming towards the lower end of that. So towards more about the 20, because ethnically, you know, I'm at higher risk. Compared to, say, a Caucasian person of an age similar demographics, um, so that's what I'm aiming to tell people a bit more about because we—if you don't know, you don't know.
0: It's true, and it's true, Anita, because um, you know you mentioned one of the things that really got you with with you know that blood test and and realizing mm. that you were at risk was the complications. So diabetes is so common that we forget some of the complications can be major, eye damage, kidney damage, you yeah. know, amputations and things like that. So it really is well worth doing everything one can do to not only prevent it, but if someone's yeah. at a stage where they do have it to do things where they at the very least make things better or, yeah. at, at, you know, at most try and, and and sort of like reverse it, you know, put it into remission essentially. Mm. So I think um that, you know, that's a powerful um motivator on your part and and i'm sure it's something that you know people listening as well as the patients you interact with that's something that they value the fact that you've been there before um and and you're sharing insights from a personal experience let's delve a bit deeper into the theme of diabetes and you mentioned sleep so earlier one of the earlier episodes of the series is how good sleep keeps you lean which is essentially essentially about how sleep or lack of it um, affects our appetite, right? So right. it's very good that you mentioned that. Anyone listening, do be sure to check out that episode which will discuss the science of how poor sleep can We're have to ruin, listen to that as well.
1: And, and <laughs> scientifically you know, crit- crit- critique.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, go for it. Go for most definitely. Um, so moving into that area of diabetes, which forms a big part of the work you do right now with the startup mm-hmm. that you're working with and, and, you, prefer, and uh, you as a doctor in general. Yeah. You mentioned intermittent fasting being a big component of your lifestyle, um, which, you know, there's a lot of evidence for right now with regards to um, longevity, as you mentioned, and things like that. Mm. But we want to talk about the nutritional aspect. So mm. the startup that you work with and, you know, as a doctor as well, someone comes in. Yeah with diabetes and I must be sure to add you know there's two types of diabetes type one type two type two is the one essentially generally associated with lifestyle right so we're talking about type two here so what what are what from a nutritional standpoint from a diet standpoint from a Mm. food standpoint tell us a bit about some of the evidence out there for what works with regards to improving situation of of diabetes
1: no okay yeah okay so i'm gonna just before i talk about kind of the evidence with um what works i'm gonna take a one step back and really whoever comes to see me or comes to consult me i like to understand them as an individual and what their eating habits are like and any barriers that might face and whether they know very much about intermittent fasting or any other kind of weight loss uh, management strategies right because Coming from uh, like an ethnic background, I'm Chinese, um, there's certain things that we do culturally, eating-wise, rice, breakfast, lunch, dinner, you know, Afro-Caribbean cultures, lots of carbs, carbs, carbs. And it's really understanding and I'm picking that because I don't want to tell them, give them the information, set them goals that are not really realistic or, or, you know, or in line with their culture because eating itself is a very social thing, right? Um, and that's really, really important to consider. So that's something kind of like always at the back of my mind. And I will explore at some point during a consultation. Now, going back to, you know, management of diabetes, we know that weight loss, okay. Um, and significant weight loss can actually help improve your HbA1c or your uh, blood glucose control. We know this, there's a lot of evidence out there. It's been around for decades. And there's work by you know uh, by Doctor I think David Unwin. Um, he's a GP and he kind of started it as his own program where he was um, you know encouraging low carb diet to help people lose moderate amount of weight. So we're talking about five to ten percent, um, and that helped to improve their blood sugar controls and actually improve their HbA1c. So they went from diabetic to pre diabetic or pre diabetic to um, kind of normal glycemia, so normal blood glucose control. So we know that weight loss is key here. And I guess the thing is, the question is, which diet is the best? And my answer to that is, there isn't one. I know that's controversial because everyone loves an answer, very kind of clear cut. What's the answer, let's do it. I think we need to look at the individual. People have um, you know, their own so- social circumstances. They have their lifestyles, they have children that causes them sleep deprivation, all these other things, they have to balance work and things. It's really important to understand the individual um and so once you understand that better you can set up like a eating regime or um that that is more suited to the lifestyle and this is why it's really really important to kind of get into nitty gritty things and so i think intermittent fasting works quite well um if we look at ourselves now the modern lifestyle we're eating three times a day we're eating more calories or excessively more than we need to um and that in some ways is causing weight gain um and lack of activity as well, especially those who are working from home. No disrespect to those out there, but we're we're sitting around a lot more. I'm currently, as I'm doing this um podcast with you, I'm like walking around, I'm on my feet, I've got my standing desk, I'm moving. And MC, you see I like you're gonna have to do, you know, we we said that you'll get your standing desk next next week, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yes, so, yes, we agreed, yeah.
1: <laughs> but like um I think intermittent fasting has good evidence to say that it's anti-inflammatory. Um what we, I usually start everyone off with is what we call the 16 to 8, where you fast for 16 hours. So you have your dinner, which is a very social meal again, with your family, finish around 8 o'clock. And then you fast until, until 12 o'clock the next day. So essentially, you skip dinner. I know what people are going to say. I thought breakfast was the most important meal of the day. We can talk about that maybe another time. And then after that, so you have your meal between 12 and 2. Then you have a bit of a break where you don't eat to let your pancreas and just to allow your body just to kind of like have a break. And then you have your dinner again. So that's the 16 to 8 that we do because there was something called the treat study and they did the 16 to 8. But we found people were overeating during that eight hour window, um, the eating window. They were just overcompensating. I don't know why. They might have felt I'm not going to be eat for, eating for 16 hours later. So let me just eat all that I can right now. And they were overeating. So that's not good so for this reason with the the startup that i work with we kind of do restrictive eating with the intermittent fasting but also um, with the eating windows specifically as well just to kind of limit how much is going in and encouraging physical activity at the same time um, there's more science behind it but i'm not going to kind of go into too much detail about it but that's kind of like basic principles and then we just tweak it and tailor it to other people's needs and what the circumstances are um, and actually through we've been collecting data and we've we've demonstrated that actually with significant weight loss so we're talking five to ten percent of the baseline weight what they started off with we have actually helped quite a few of our clients go from diabetes to pre-diabetes and or pre-diabetes to you know normal blood sugar hba1c and that's amazing that's really really good and it, it it really works it really really works but like i said it's not for everyone And it really depends on the individual, what their motivations are, and where they are on that motivational cycle. Like, it's really important to understand them as an individual and what they can and cannot do.
0: Mm, And as you said, you know, um, the evidence is out there. And I'm glad that um, it's, you know, becoming more mainstream, becoming more widely known, because essentially, people who, there was a point in time where people who had type 2 diabetes, were convinced that that was it, they, they would have it for life. And now there's a possibility that they, that, that 100%. they can at least gradually reduce medication or, yeah. or completely come off medication in, yeah. in its entirety. And it's important to add, guys, you know, if anyone's going to try this, I mean, don't stop taking your medication. <laughs> you know, chances are, <laughs> chances are, as things improve with weight yeah. loss and things like that, your doctor... Will actually even need to gradually continue reducing your dosage until potentially yeah. you might not even need um, medication um, at all. So I think that's I think that's profound. You know, the Food Clinic podcast is essentially about what we eat and potentially also about what we don't eat, right? Yeah. Um, and this is talking about the power of moderating the times in which we eat, the frequency in which we eat, and the power that has to give our pancreas the rest, as you said, yeah. and to transform our bodies in a way. And you're, you're talking from personal experience. yeah. So um, thank you so much for adding that. Um, so Anita, people are often wanting to know what the journey is like, right? This process of fasting can be completely new, to 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 some people right yeah and I feel like some of the challenges that people might face or some of the barriers people might face is not necessarily knowing what to expect you're someone who you said you've been doing this for two years straight right and it's more well, of a I'm lifestyle I'm usually not now very good at that. anything
1: this is the best thing and the most like disciplined thing I've ever done in my life <laughs> so so
0: you know you're probably you know a fantastic person to Give people an idea of what to expect. So let's say someone has said that they want to go on an intermittent fast for five days. Let's say three days, first of all. Yeah. Sure. Right. Tell us a bit about some of the things they will, can expect. And I'd imagine, I in fact, I know because I've tried it myself. There's a there's like a threshold. Once you pass that threshold, things become a bit easier. But there's Correct. some challenges leading up to there's <laughs> some challenges leading up to that threshold. Tell us a bit about what people can expect just so that they don't feel discouraged and demotivated when they encounter those issues
1: yeah sure sure so when you start off on your intermittent fasting journey and you've done done it before your body will respond in certain ways because it's not used to it right Um, on the first few days sometimes you can feel a little bit unwell some people might get a bit of a headache feel a bit dizzy or feel like they're craving food like they really really want food because they feel hungry and that's not unusual because if you think about the food that you ate the day before, that's going to have an impact on your your appetite and things as well, actually. If you're eating processed foods, for example, that's going to make you feel hungry very soon. And so the first few days, I say, take it easy, ride it out if you can. If you're feeling hungry, try and distract yourself. Drink more water. A lot of the times we're thirsty, okay? And do something because, um, you know, go for a walk or, or, or I don't know, do a project or something like that. Because... The more you think about the food, the more you're going to want it. And it, it becomes, it doesn't, it's not fun. It becomes a bit kind of like a bit miserable sometimes. Um, the other thing is do it with a friend. Often a bit of healthy competition goes a long way. Um, but so the first few days usually are the most challenging. And this can last up to a week. But we often find that actually once you pu- push past the week, it becomes much more easier. A lot of the uh, you know clients I work with say it's easier than I thought it would be. And it, it's true, you, you break through it. And then as you kind of extend your journey and you do it for longer, for two years, there's going to be ups and downs. And I'm going to be very, very honest and transparent about that because it's happened to me, okay? Life will throw lots of challenges at you. Life will cause you to be stressed, make you upset and other things. And during these moments, you're going to do what makes you feel kind of, which makes you feel like it comforts you. You're going to maybe comfort eat you might binge eat a little bit or, or, you know, graze during the evening because you're feeling, you know, sad and and having the carbs or the processed foods gives you a pick you up for a short period of time. Right. It's happened to me. I, I, I've done it sometimes as well. But I think the most important thing is ride it out. Don't beat yourself up over it because it it happens to a lot of us. Ride it out. And when you're ready to get back on your intermittent fasting journey or your health journey, um, you know, do it, go Go for it again. Like, just another, it's a new day. Okay. So, those insights are fantastic for anyone wanting
0: to try intermittent fasting in general. I'd like us to hone in on the condition diabetes, right? You mentioned two years. Some people are like, hell no, there's absolutely no way I'm going to be doing intermittent fasting for two (coughs) years, right? So, but then earlier you mentioned that studies have shown just a five to 10% drop in weight can have a significant effect on our blood sugar and may potentially to the level of putting um, diabetes into remission. So the people that you're working with, the, the mm. clients that you're um, working with, patients that you're working with who have type 2 diabetes yeah. um, and uh, are trying to find a, a solution, mm. how long are they expected to fast for and, and what does the, the program look like for
1: them? Mm, it's interesting. So I think... If I'm honest, there's a lot of people out there looking for quick fixes. Lifestyle medicine is not a quick fix. Lifestyle medicine is literally committing to lifestyle changes, which you will sustain hopefully, and hopefully sustain rather than will sustain over you know, a long period of time. It's about forming good habits. These things don't come easily uh, for me or for my clients or for, for anyone that I know. And I think it's really important to recognize um, that actually, if you want to you know, reverse diabetes or bring it into remission to lose weight, you have to keep working at it. It's not something that you can just work on, do the thing, and then, you know, forget about it and go back to your previous lifestyle or previous kind of like regime. It's something that, you know, you need to continue working at. And if you struggle with it, it's about finding support with that. Um, for me, intermittent fasting is now my lifestyle. I think I'm going to be doing it for the rest of my life. Um, and only except for if, ever i become pregnant because that's actually not advised during pregnancy um it's not healthy um but that's the thing that i'm going to do um and i don't expect everyone to do it i don't ex- expect everyone to do it over a long term. it's about moderation you can do it for a short period of time to kick start you know your uh, improving your health and if you want to and, and this is what we do on our, our program with roxanne as well is we start reintroducing things Back into the lifestyle that they enjoyed because it's about also pleasure. So they want a bit of cake, fine, you've done so well, have a bit of cake. You want a bit of alcohol, fine, have a bit of alcohol, all in moderation. Life is about being healthy, enjoying it, and being able to share that pleasure and enjoyment with the people around you. So, in terms of a goal, I suppose judging by what you've said
0: so far, a big goal for anyone who's overweight who also has type two diabetes yeah. is to lose at least about five to ten percent of their body weight, which will have a significant effect on their blood sugar levels and and insulin yeah. sensitivity, blood signal control.
1: Right. And, um, actually, and I actually, sorry, sorry to interrupt. On top of that, the, the the added incentive is that the the kind of more weight you lose at the beginning, the 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 more likely you are uh, you're going to sustain
0: that weight loss. And so therefore, a, a big motivator for perhaps using intermittent fasting in the context of type 2 diabetes is to get to that point where you can lose that 5 to 10% of, of yeah. your body weight, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose from there, people may then readjust their lifestyle to ensure that the foods they were eating before, you mentioned foods that are high in carbs, etc., are not necessarily something that they continue to eat. But a main goal is to lose that 5 to 10% of body weight and intermittent fasting has been found to be a, a good way to do that um yeah. I feel like that's something that's it's good to state because you know especially that whole five to ten percent thing um the fact that, that you know there's actually obviously people are different but there's actually like yeah. a bit of a number you know if, if you're overweight and you lose ten percent of your of your body weight you can have a dramatic effect on your blood sugar levels 100%, and, and I've you know, seen it
1: I've seen it I like it really, you really have to see it to believe it. I was sometimes skeptical as well. I'm like, lifestyle medicine, what does that even mean? And now I really respect the, the specialty. I've seen the positive effects and I'm just trying to basically educate people and just help them. So, when people, okay, so when people have lost, let's say they've, they've lost that
0: weight with through intermittent fasting and even during, let's say their meals that they're permitted to have during the intermittent fasting, what would you advise nutritionally? Um, for them to maintain the positive, yeah. uh, the benefits of, of essentially what what they're achieving through that fasting. So what sort of foods should they be consuming and shouldn't okay, okay. be consuming yeah. this as is well.
1: This is like the million dollar question for any kind of like um, eating regime. So first and foremost, I will start off with high protein. It doesn't have to be meat. It can be, uh, you know, meat free or meat alternatives. Right. And there's a reason for that. The reasoning being is because it's the protein that keeps you fuller for longer it's like slow release and actually from the third decade we're talking about my decade your decade right now we are losing protein um we're losing muscle mass and over time you know you see sometimes the little frail old ladies kind of hunched back and and falling and things it's because they're losing protein and they're losing strength in their muscles and their bones so from that from now we should be kind of increasing our protein intake doing more exercise to help with that. So high protein first, foremost, increasing fiber. Fiber is excellent for, again, satiety, so making you feel fuller for longer, but also for your bowels. Um, there's a lot of kind of literature out there about microbiome and stuff. You know, there's increasing incidence of, uh, or prevalence of colon cancer. Fiber is so important. And these will keep you fuller for longer because a lot of people don't like intermittent fasting. They say, I feel really, really hungry. And then finally, we don't say kind of avoid carbs because that's like more keto diet. We say low carbs. You know, some people cannot cut carbs out because they've had carbs all their life three times a day, for example. It's about moderation. And I would also eat the food in kind of that order. And the reason being, as I said, the protein is what sustains um, your kind of like society a bit more. Um, so if you start off with that, while well, after you start digesting it, for example, you're going you're gonna to start feeling the fullness. Um, and so that's what we would recommend moderate fat you need a bit of healthy fats as well in your diet so you know from avocado from extra virgin olive oil that sort of thing um and we don't have we don't calorie count we don't advise that um it's just eating until you're full essentially so eating slowly allowing your you know your body to digest it um and if you need a top up later that's okay um uh, and and also just benchmarking with every meal that you had did it fill you up did it keep you going until your next eating window or whatever and then you just adjust it and tweak it because it's a journey we're not gonna find the solution straight away you're just gonna have to work a bit of trial and error like life and yeah as you say
0: it's um and people are different um, people adjust differently but uh, that that principle of protein being very filling. I'm sure most people have noticed if you have like you know some chicken, like a big piece of chicken or steak or something, it, it tends to make you feel more yeah, full. Yeah, there's than only so much chicken
1: or steak you can have. Yeah. Some people will exactly. eat a lot of rice and continue eating rice and potatoes. But I'm telling you, there there will be a time when you stop eating the meat or the protein alternative or yes. the carrot sticks. <laughs> you know, you will stop. Yeah, <laughs>
0: You know, and the fiber, fiber is a big thing, you know, keeps you fuller for longer, but it also works as a way of catching on to some of our waste. So excess hormones and all those mm-hmm. things that are released into our gut, it clings to the fiber and comes out in our poop. So having <laughs> fiber is very good for making sure our system is, you know, clean and clear and, and working as well as it should do. Yeah. Um. So on that note, uh, Anita it's a pleasure to catch up again um, thank you so much for sharing some of these amazing fascinating insights um, with our listeners and um, hopefully we can we can do this again maybe yeah we'll
1: catch, <laughs> we'll catch up we'll catch up we about all the other aspects I think it, this was more of an introduction and it's just kind of making it kind of concise but there's just so much more and I've been doing so much more reading and, and I've got all this wealth of knowledge that I want to share with people when I have the time maybe I'll write a book but for now you know talking to you just sharing the information is good enough for me
0: yes and hopefully there'll be season two and beyond of the food connect podcast so i'm looking forward to having you on the next season as well
1: (laughs) if they want to listen to me again
0: that is i'm I'm sure they will i'm sure they will thank you so much Anita.
1: thank you for having me
0: this week's giveaway is a book recommended by anita the new york times bestseller atomic habits by jane clear which explores how even the smallest changes in our lives can be truly transformative. To be in with a chance of winning, make sure you're subscribed to our weekly newsletter. If not, head over to our website at dryemisi.com and do that right now. Next Wednesday, you'll receive a link to enter and all you have to do is answer the following question. What were Anita's top three nutrition tips? The winner will be announced on my Instagram page at Bokini next Saturday. The Food Connect podcast is powered by the Royal Society of Chemistry.